Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So it is flu season. I thought I would kick off today by asking if you know the difference between the bird flu and the swine flu. The bird flu, you need treatment, and the swine flu, you need oinkment. Well, thank God Pastor Garrett's not there to give me a rim shot this time. Oh, so anyway, uh, this one's sort of fun too. Why, do you know how the pilgrims brought their cows to America? On the moo flower. I couldn't resist. All right, anyway. Why? <laughs> he did that to me in first service on the first one. That was, yeah, I thought we were free. Finally free, finally home. All right, anyway. Um, so you ever, um, you ever work an equation in math? And you ever work? So there's a very famous equation that came across the internet, and it said, uh, "This." Uh, let me just put up this math equation for you. Now there are two different ways to work this equation, and before 1914. So if you were born before 1914, it is appropriate for you to do this: for you to say, work the parentheses first. 1 plus 2 equals 3 times 2 is 6, so 6 divided by 6 would be 1. But that was only if you were before 1914 because the modern rules of math and how we all work it, especially since we're Americans, we work from left to right. So 6 divided by 2 is 3 times 1 plus 2, 3 times 3 is 9. The proper answer is 9. Now, there are people in first service that were telling me, no, it's not, no, it's not, no, it's not. I'm sorry, I did my research on this, all right? I know when the rules changed, I know all of those kind of things. And the proper answer here is nine. Doesn't matter what you say, if you do it that way in college, it's gonna be nine. Now, all of that to say, it's funny that we have an equation, I can explain the rules, and then there's still some debate over what the equation means. Hold on, did y'all get that? I already explained the equation, I explained why the equation's what it is, but there's still, no, 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 what, what, I was taught that way when I was a kid, therefore it's got to be right, even though it was wrong. Now why do we say this? Why did I bring up an equation like this? Because just the way this equation brought some tension in this room, I want to talk to you about an equation that's in the Bible today that is going to bring equal tension to you as well. And it's an equation found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So would you stand to your feet in honor of God's Word, and let's talk about the equation that is found right there. Can everybody read the first sentence with me? It's going to be really good. You ready? Ready? Here we go. But godliness with contentment is great gain. There's our equation. That's what we're going to talk about today, but we're going to need this next verse to help explain some of it. So let's go ahead and read on. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. What? 
You brought nothing into the world? You mean you weren't born with like a suitcase in your hand? Coming out, mom, I didn't know, I didn't know I packed your stuff in there. No, there was no suitcase in your hand. You came out, you were naked as a pig bird, right? You were just you, just your skin, and that was all you had. And, and when you die, do you know what you're going to take with you? Nothing. I don't care if you go to the, your grave in a, in a, I don't know, a U-Haul. They can bury you in a U-Haul, but you know what? You're going to be dead, and when you're dead, you don't need anything because you're dead. So you brought with you nothing? What are you going to take with you? But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. What? Oh, come on. Does anybody, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that? No, we won't. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little later, but I want you to see it. All right, y'all ready? The equation is, read the equation with me one more time. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Father, I pray that today you would add your blessing to your word and that our hearts would be open to hear what you say in the name of Jesus. We pray it. Amen and amen. You got to turn and smile at somebody. Give them a big, big smile. Tell them you belong. You belong. Yeah, you belong. You're welcome. You belong. All right. Now, that equation, I will tell you, I borrowed, I borrowed Andy Shineman's phone just to rework that equation, just to check again that all my reading was right because guess what? I checked again. And it's still the right equation, but I still see people telling me that it's wrong. Even though I did an hour's worth of research on it to make sure it was right. <laughs> Wow, how is that? And how is it when I start talking about money and godliness with contentment is great gain, and I'm going to talk to you about this, I'm going to say things today, and there's going to be something in you that says, nuh-uh, nuh-uh, I don't care what you say, uh-uh, right? What I would like us to do is, can we just drop our guard today, understand this sermon is not for you. I did not prepare this sermon for you. I prepared this sermon for me. I am preaching to one person today, me. I've already preached, I've already prepared it, I've already preached it, and I know I need to hear it again, so I'm going to preach it again, and you just get to listen to me preach to myself. Is that all right? All right, so I'm not talking to you. I'm not yelling at you. I'm, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at me. Everybody understand that? I'm talking to me. This is a sermon for Kevin L. Crow. This is my sermon. You get to listen in. Because I have problems with this equation. Godliness with contentment equals great gain. Mm -mm 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 -mm. So I decided to break it down a little bit. And what is godliness? So let's just start with godliness. The definition of godliness is appropriate beliefs and devout practice of obligations relating to the supernatural persons or powers, otherwise known as religion or piety. I was like, you know, that's, that's not bad. Maybe we should break that down a little bit. What, what is godliness? That was the Greek definition. It was the definition of the Greek word for godliness. When I got to looking into it, I realized there were two parts of what godliness is. Right beliefs and right practice. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. You've got to have both. You've got to have right belief and right practice. So what are the beliefs that we should believe about God? Can I talk to you about beliefs for just a second? 
We live in a world, do you know that God created your, your brain to be creative, to sort of suspend reality? Did, did you know that you're made that way? Anybody ever fantasize? Anybody ever just stop what you're doing and sort of go to another place and fantasize? And in those fantasies, you know, God designed your brain to do that, but he wants you to direct that, not live in a fantasy world. Do you know that God designed you to correspond with reality even in your fantasies? But you're, you're, if you're always fantasizing about winning the lottery and what you would do if you'd win the lottery, I want to ask you a question. Why don't you do some of those things before you win the lottery? And why don't you figure out a way to get the life you want instead of always fantasizing about a life that you would only get if you got struck by lightning twice and got in a car accident with the same person with the same birth date as you. And that's your chances of walking out of the door, getting struck by lightning twice and pulling out of the parking lot and having a, a, a car accident with a person with the same birth date as you. That, those are the odds of you winning the lottery. Those are, how many of the rooms been struck by lightning? You've been struck by lightning? Wow, we got one. You haven't even been struck by lightning twice, have you? No? Wow. And what are the odds? The odds are horrible. So what we do is God designed us for creative thinking, but we use our creative thinking to lead us farther away from godliness and farther away from contentment. Do you know what the proper use of your creative thinking is? I'll tell you what it is. There was a sound barrier. Do you remember that? Airplanes? had a sound barrier, and they thought that there was a wall like in the sound barrier. When you got to, let me see, what's the, 760 mile per hour at sea level, they thought when the plane hit that, it would like hit a wall and it would just explode and evaporate. As a matter of fact, they had, uh, in 1947, they had proof of that because a British plane trying to get through the sound barrier uh, was blown to pieces in an attempt to break the barrier. In other words, they didn't build the fuselage uh, strong enough to handle it, and a guy died, and the plane was disintegrated. So they thought that there was like this wall, and when you went to the sound barrier, when you hit 760 mile an hour, you would be like, boom, and it would hit a wall, and you would explode and die. But there was a guy named Chuck Yeager and a group of scientists that said, if we're going to get to outer space, we have to think creatively. So what they did was they decided to build their plane a little stronger, and they went a little faster. And when Chuck Yeager went through the sound barrier, he said, and, and I quote, it was like a poke in a bowl of jello. It just went totally smooth on the other side. Why do, why do I say all of that? I say that because creative thinking is to help you overcome obstacles, and God designed you to think creatively. But your creativity needs to be in alignment with reality. Your creativity causes you to put a little, oh, I wonder how a little nutmeg would taste in this. That's creativity. When it tastes like garbage, that's reality. <laughs> Come on, anybody ever tried and you failed? All right, so you guys get what I'm saying. God made us to be creative, but he also put us in a world of reality. So a lot of us, we have beliefs and thoughts about this life and about what will make us happy, and we have thoughts and beliefs about who God is that are not corresponding to reality. The pilot asked the great question, what is truth? What is truth? 
Well, truth is that which corresponds with the reality. So if it's not real and it's not true, then it's not who God is if it doesn't correspond with the reality. You may say, I'm creative, I can fly. And you go up to Valley View Bridge and you say, I'm going to fly. And your flight lasts 2.3 seconds. And then you meet reality. Are, are we on the same page here? And a lot of us, we have these views about God like, oh, let me see. My sins are too big for God to forgive. I did too much wrong for him to forgive. I've been a Christian and I just did it again. God, you could never forgive me. And that is a lie and does not correspond with the reality. And the reality is, is that Christ died once for all. One death paid the price for all humanity. From beginning to end, every sin, every sin you have committed, every sin you committed today, and every sin that you're going to commit in the future, Jesus has already paid for it all. You just have to trust him for it. That's truth. Some of us have these false truths about God, false truths like, if I don't feel God, then he's not with me. Really? Where did you get that? You didn't get that out of the Bible. Where did you come up with that? I got to feel God. What does it mean to feel God anyway? So like, <laughs> what is it to feel God? Where did you come up with the idea you have to feel God? It came out of your culture. It didn't come out of the Bible. It didn't come out of God. It didn't come from a relationship with him. Because let me see, Job felt like God was persecuting him and far away from him, but yet God was right there with him the entire time, right? What are some other things that you get? You get this, if I do the right things and I say the right prayers, bad stuff will never happen to me. Psalm 91, I pray a protection over my kids. Therefore, they will never struggle. Really? Come on, Psalm 91? That was what was used by the devil to tempt Jesus. And Jesus said, uh -uh, you're, you're interpreting that wrong. <laughs> Right? Yet a lot of us think, well, if anything ever goes wrong in my life, God's abandoned me. Really? Where did you come up with that? You did not come up with that from the scripture. Jesus on the cross, God, you have forsaken me. And the next thing he says is, into your hands I commit my spirit. <laughs> what? How about this? Peter, you know, if I do the right things, I'll never have any pain. Stephen being stoned. And there is Stephen being stoned. And the rocks are, I don't feel that. The rocks are hitting me. I don't feel it. It hurt me because I've done the right thing. Is that what Stephen said? No, Stephen fell down and died as he said, Father, forgive them. You're, where where'd you come up with these views of God? Where do you come up with these views of God that don't even align with, how about this one? God needs me to give my money. Really? The God who made the universe needs your few paltry dollars? Come on, he spoke and the creation happened. Yeah, if he needs something, you know what he'll do? He'll just make it. You know, he's better than the U.S. Mint. At least his money is backed up by God. What am, I, what am I saying to you here? I'm saying, where did you get these? And I've listened to this, and I'm tired of this. That's the reason I talk this way. I'm tired of watching people say, well, God's not real. 
I believed in God and I did this and God didn't come through. And I'm like, every time I hear one of those stories, I'm like, where in the world did you get that idea? How did you come up with the equation that says this is the reality about God? You didn't get it out of the Bible. Where'd you get it from? Your mama, your good well wishes? Do you get it from your superstitions? Do you get it from your Catholic buddies or your Protestant friends or your Pentecostal name it, claim it, grab it, blab it people? Where did you come up with this garbage? No wonder you deny God. Heck, I deny that God. I almost said in first service that it's something crazy like, you shouldn't deny that God. Uh, yeah, you should. You should. I'm an atheist to your version of God too. I don't believe he exists either. But just because you don't believe that that version of God exists doesn't mean the, the died on the cross, buried in a grave and resurrected on the third day Lord of life doesn't exist. Because he does exist, and he is true, and he is real, and if you push against him, he's going to be real every time and true every time. See, what happened to me is I went, I went off to, all right, so I started reading the Bible years and years ago, and I started reading the things in the Bible that disturbed me. Anybody ever read anything in the Bible that disturbed you? And I read stuff, I was like, I just don't like this. <laughs> I don't understand this, I don't like this, what do I do with this? hey, this says one thing and this verse says a different thing. What do I do with these two? Oh, there's a prophecy here that's supposed to happen in Jeremiah. It never happened. Oh my goodness, what do I do with these things? I thought the Bible was blank. So you know what I did for years? I just took my rug up, my spiritual rug, you know, we all got it. And I took my spiritual broom and I swept my spiritual problems under my spiritual rug and I covered it down and I stood on it and pretend there wasn't any garbage underneath. Then I went to seminary. And my very first class in seminary, there was a professor, and I could give you his name. He was an Assembly of God pastor from, uh, uh, I've known him for years, but I'd never taken him to class. First seminary class, three hours. He tore me up one side and down the other. Not just me, the entire class. You know what he did? He took my rug. He pulled it way back and said, look at all this junk you have buried under there. Here, let me give you a few dozen more problems. So I had a view of God and a view of the Bible that was not consistent with reality. Therefore, it was not truth. So I hit a wall. Well, I was a day from hitting a wall, literally, and never living anymore. I was literally within a day with the plan. And God said, are you ready to embrace truth now? Are you ready to embrace the real me and drop your beliefs that are not true? I just want to ask you a question. Are you ready to embrace the real resurrected Jesus Christ, the Lord of all heaven and earth? who called his own death, burial, and resurrection, who died on the cross, was buried on the third day, resurrected from the dead, and never died again, and is the only person in all of history ever to pull off that stunt, and is able to pull it off, and, and now is the Lord of all. Are you willing to trust him instead of your version of God? Because godliness starts with the true belief in the true God. And then it starts with an actual practice of it. Godliness is believing in the true God, then it, you have to practice it. 
Now, I know you all have faith. I know you do. You do it every day. You wake up and you go into the bathroom, got to take a shower, brush your teeth or whatever you do first. And you go in the bathroom before you walk into a dark bathroom. When you walk into the dark bathroom, what's the first thing you do? Turn on the light. So you reach over on a wall and you pull out an invisible source that you know nothing of to go through lines that you don't understand how it happens to hit the filament of a light bulb up there somewhere that you can't even explain to me how the filament creates the light. But yet you do it every day and you expect when you flip that switch, the light will come on. Correct? So your reality is proven by your faith and your faith is proven by your reality. So also I want to tell you that a resurrected Jesus is still Lord and is still master and is still king. Some of you just haven't turned the light switch on. And what I want to encourage you to do today is for you to truly live in the godliness God has for you. I want you to turn the light on so that your godliness is when your belief and your practice are aligned. But if your belief and your practice aren't aligned, then you're not practicing godliness. You're like me, you're practicing godliness. You know what golfliness is for me? I love to play golf. And this just happened to me the other day. 135-yard par three, water all around the green, and there is the pin right there in the middle. And I know I hit a pitching wedge for 135 yards, so I get my pitching wedge out, and I get on the tee, and I take a nice big swing because I know this pitching wedge is going to go on the green. But you know what I haven't done enough of lately? I believe it, but I haven't what? Practice. And also there was a headwind coming against me I didn't take into account, and I hit my pitching wedge, and guess what happened? I met the water because my swing was without practice, and I did not face the reality of the wind. So that ball is swimming at the bottom of the lake. Yes. That's rough. My goffliness needs some practice because I may believe in my swing, but without practice, the ball will always wind up in the water. Oh, guys, if you believe in God and you don't put it into practice, you're going to be looking just as silly as I was, standing there going, what happened? And I watch a lot of Christians live their lives with a, what happened? All the while, they never put into practice what they needed to. Second of all, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness plus contentment is great gain. Contentment. What is contentment? Uh, I, I was reading again, and I've got all these study aids that help me out, and one of them said the state of contentment is the state of being content in one's circumstances or lot in life. And I'm like, that's really great. You define a word by giving me the same word. I hate that, you know? What is contentment? The state of being content. I don't know any more than when I started. So I went to another source and it said that it's a condition of life in which no aid of support is needed. It's a place where you got what you need. Contentment. So I went to the Bible to help me define what contentment looked like. Luke chapter 3, verse 14, some soldiers asked him, to, speaking of John the Baptist, what should we do, he said, or they replied, uh, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be what? 
Be content with your pay. In other words, contentment is learning to use your resources to meet your needs. Every year we do this thing called Financial Peace University. Every January, we're going to have another class in January. Go ahead and make plans right now. It starts, what, January 16th or something like that. We're going to do Financial Peace. Why do we do Financial Peace University? Because the number one thing that will help you learn to use your pay wisely is to make a budget. And don't tell me, I know all that stuff already. Well, then good. If you know it, do it. But you're not doing it, so apparently you need some help. So go through financial peace in January, and we will nudge you and prod you towards taking the right steps. Because I believe God gives you enough to live on, and if you're not living on what God gave you, then that means you're not using it right. Contentment is learning to use your resources. Secondly, all, contentment is recognizing what you really need. What you really need. 1 Timothy 6, 8. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. What? Come on. How many of you are really content with just food and clothing? Not me. No, no. Because if I have clothing, I want a better set of clothing for next week, right? <laughs> better eats. That's right. Yeah, I also like to not walk everywhere I go, so I think I need a car too, right? Yep. Right? Food, clothing, car. I also like to sleep indoors. <laughs> Especially this time of year, right? Do you know what this is saying, though? Is that maybe... I'm going to ask you a question. Do you really need a bigger house? Do you really need a new car? Do you really need another set of clothes? Do you really need to put a big meal on your credit card so you can flush it down the toilet in two days? What do, you, do you really need more stuff? You may need a new car if the other one isn't working and you've got to get to work. You may need a bigger house if you've got five kids and you've got one bedroom. You may need, come on, you may need upgrades. I'm not saying you don't need them, but I think we don't even think about this anymore. We just basically believe that more will make us happy. But more will not, at its core, make you happy. All right? So contentment is looking at what you really need versus what you think you need. <laughs> How about this? Contentment is focusing on what you already have. Contentment is focusing on what you already have. What do you already have? So Hebrews chapter 13, 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with the way you have. Why? Because God says, I'm with you. And if I'm with you, what you have will be enough. Now, I learned this lesson the hard way, all right? I will never forget where I was. I was on Interstate 44. I was just outside of St. Louis, Missouri. I was coming back from Springfield, Missouri. I was coming home. I'd been taking some classes there at Assembly of God Theological Seminary, and I was on my way home, and um, it was right outside of uh, St. Louis, actually just right before Eureka. I can still picture it on the road where I was. I'd been griping at God about what I didn't have. I, I don't know, maybe there's something in me. I'm the only one, there's like this big bubble on the inside. I want more. I, I want more 
money. I want more power. I want more importance. I want more pleasure. I want more. Anybody else in the room? Remember, I'm preaching to me. And I remember where I was. And something happened. And I've been griping at God about this. And I'm in my pickup truck that runs, driving down the road, listening to a CD, jamming, rocking, talking to God and complaining at him. And something happened on the road. It doesn't matter what happened. But it just like pinpricked that big pus bucket inside me. And it went, and what, what happened, I can tell you what happened, but I'm not going to tell you what happened. And I start screaming at God. Maybe you never screamed at him, but I was screaming at him. You've held out on me. You could have. You didn't. Blah, blah, blah. And maybe you've never done that, but I, I was doing that. And clear as a bell, through my yells, the voice of God speaks. And this is what he said to me. Why don't you live the life you have instead of complaining about one you couldn't handle if I gave it to you? Now, I said that word for word. It's been 12, 13 years. And word for word, I remember God saying, why don't you live the life you have instead of complaining about one you couldn't handle if I gave it to you? See, this, this says right here, be content with what you have. Make the life you have the life you want instead of complaining that you don't have a life you want and being lazy and making the life you have miserable. My toes are sucked up in my shoes. Contentment is total dependence on God too. Contentment is total dependence on God. So I was reading... And Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. You've learned. All right, Paul, you're cool. You've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then he says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. So apparently this guy has had a lot and had a little. And he says this, I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or living in want. And Paul says he's learned the secret. And I'm like, well, Paul, why don't you tell us what the secret is? He's learned the secret. Tell me what the secret is. And then I realized he does. The very next verse. What's the very next verse say? Now, you put this on so you can go to the gym and lift more weights. But that's not what this verse is. This verse is saying God has a power that is able to help you live your life in such a way that you're not always looking for some other buzz. You can enjoy the life you have. I can do this. And I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So when I'm facing a problem... He gives me the strength. When I'm facing my own inward desires and my lusts and my passions and my wants and my longings, I can put those to death through him who gives me strength. When I don't want to be a good husband and I want to be selfish and I want to demand things in my wife that she shouldn't have to give, I can put that to death through him who gives me strength. When I want something else, I can put that to death to give through him who gives me strength. When I want a little more food or when I want a little more pleasure, I can put it to death through him who gives me strength and I can be content with the life God has given me. Therefore, the life God has given me starts looking a little bit like great gain. But, 
Now, this, come on, this, this was brought home to me, like drove home like a sledgehammer. My wife and I, we took a week's vacation. We had to go down to Florida for some ministry business. And we thought, while we're there, let's just find a beach. So I found the most beautiful beach I found, actually, in, in North America, Siesta Key. I want to show you the pool I stayed at. It's the place I stayed. We got a great deal. I mean, rock bottom deal on this thing. I couldn't believe the deal we got on this place. And I'm about 100 yards up the road and hang a left, and I'm on this incredible beach. And it's beautiful. And I took this picture because it's early in the morning. You can see from the shadows. It's early in the morning. I'm sitting out there. I'm, I'm reading my Bible, and I'm praying and having a cup of coffee, and I'm just rejoicing in God when I showed up. I don't think you got that. I'm having a great time with God until I showed up. Because my room, my room at this hotel is not one of these rooms here facing the pool. The reason we get a great deal is my room is down around the corner underneath the stairs back in the back. It was still great. I mean, it was wonderful. I don't need a fancy room because the pool's awesome. I'm sitting at the pool. Come on, this, this is good, right? Sitting at a pool. I, it's warm enough in the morning. My, my big belly's hanging out with my sweater that's, un, you know, anyway. I'm sitting there, no shirt on, drinking a cup of coffee, reading my Bible with my sweater hanging out. And here we are. Yeah, it's fun and it's warm and it's wonderful. And, and uh, as I should be enjoying this, you know, my, I, I, this is next to perfect, right? Everything I described is what we want out of a vacation, a place to relax, refresh, be renewed, enjoy yourself. Yeah, then I looked up. I don't, I'm not sure if you can see it. But above the, the hotel I'm staying in, above it, there's a condo over there. And that condo is beachfront. That's beachfront. I'm staying under the stairs there at beachfront. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, this is great. But wouldn't it be better? I mean, it'd be better. I mean, what would it be like to have the kind of money to have that condo and stay in that condo? Somebody's got to own it. Where did they get the money to do that? Wouldn't it be better than staying under the stairs? <laughs> I, I know nobody in the room's ever done that except me, but I'm doing this in that moment. And as I'm doing that, the Holy Spirit speaks to me clear as a bell. And I, I, I texted D. I said, Dee, do you have a picture of that place we saw in El Salvador? And she said, yep. So I got this picture. That's where they live. I'm complaining about a pool not being a penthouse on a 12th story of a beachfront condo when there are thousands and millions and even tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people living like this. Why am I such a jerk? Godliness with contentment equals great gain. Great gain. Definition of great gain, though. I don't like the definition. I don't like great gain. You know why? Great gain makes it sound like if you're godly and you're content, then you're going to get richer. Ha, ha, ha. Can we? That's not what this word means. So what I did is I did some research, and I looked up in Greek other places like in... Um, in a, uh, a parcel, P par 63, from 160 B.C., this same Greek word means provide for myself. 
great gain is to provide for yourself. And from um, uh, an, uh, another fragment found in the first century, it's Oxy uh, uh, 9, Oxy 9, Roman number 9 says, supply themselves with the means of life. So outside of this passage in Greek antiquity, when this great gain word is used, it means that you have enough to take care of your needs. Godliness with contentment means you got enough to take care of your needs. That's what it means everywhere else. Take care of your needs so you're not dependent on somebody else to give you something so you can take care of your needs. It's great gain. Godliness with contentment means that you can have enough so that you're not always looking at what somebody else has and wanting it. From the context of this passage, though, Godliness with contentment is great gain is written to people who are already rich because Paul is commanding Timothy to instruct those who are rich in this present world to share. So the passage is rich. So I want to ask you, who is rich? Are you rich? Do you know that 9.9% of the world is starving to death and faces hunger or starvation? Nearly 10% of our world is on the verge of starving every day. Now, this was driven home to me years ago. I went down to Haiti, and it was the first time in my life I'd ever been to Haiti, and it was the first time I ever visited. Convoy of Hope took me down, and they took me to this orphanage that they were helping support, and and they had just brought a kid out of the poverty-stricken area who was an orphan, and he had a distended belly. He was about this tall, and his belly was distended from starvation. He literally, their belly bloat while because their arms are being legs and muscles are being eaten up and their belly bloats up right before they die and this kid was bloated and he couldn't wear clothes because it hurt to touch his skin so he was walking around this place literally like two days or the day before we arrived they had rescued this kid and convoy of hope started giving him food every day they started giving him a place to sleep and they started giving him the love of Jesus and telling him about Jesus and that day when that kid crawled on my back and gave me a hug, I knew I would forever support Convoy of Hope the rest of my life. I know what it's like to look in the eyes of somebody that is starving to death and is being rescued. Do you have a bike? Do you have a car? You know, if you have a car in your family, you're you're in the 33rd percentile of richest people in the world. If you have a car, and some of you have two, but if you have a car in your family, only 33% of the people in the world are rich enough to own a car. Do you, and some of you, some of you, this is how rich you are. You not only have a car and you not only have two cars, but you have a house for your car that's better than the house I showed you all ago for those people living. Who's rich? Who's rich? We are. God's already blessed us, yet sometimes we look at our riches and we think that God is somehow holding out on us. But he's not, because godliness with contentment is great gain. And what God wants you to do is he wants you to learn how to go back to that godliness and put it to death. That's the reason today I'm going to give one day of my wages. I sat down with a calculator and figured it up so I could give one day of my wages. And we're going to give a one day offering at the end of this. And this isn't for you, this is for me. I'm doing this 
to kill me, to say, I am blessed by God. I get a chance to make an impact on people's life around the world. I get to do it. And I want to invite you with me. You probably need to do it. If you're rich, you need to kill that I want more bug in you. And one of the ways you do that is you intentionally give your way out of it. And by the way, I'm not raising money for me. I'm raising money for the projects we got here. I'm raising money so we can give fire Bibles to people, so we can build a Bible school in the jungle, so we can give the Convoy of Hope. And, you know, we can, we can, <laughs> we're going to give probably 15 or 20. My goal is, I would like, I, I've not said this out loud. I'm going to get in trouble for this. But I'd like to give $30,000 a day to, King, to Convoy of Hope to feed people around the world. I'd like to do that. Last year, we gave $147,000. This year, I'd like us to give $160,000. We get to do this so that we can empower women and do some work on the kids' wings. We can feed people locally. We can do Harvest Blues. And, and by the way, if we get that kind of money, we're going to probably support another half dozen projects this year that we get to give to people who are in need and opportunities around the world. And behind every single one of those is a person that God loves. I'd like a dozen or so volunteers. I got, I got some of these. Sorry, camera people. Sorry, I'm making noise here. Andy, would you find me a few people around the room that would, that want a water bottle? Just hold them. Yeah, these guys are going to help you. Just get them a water bottle. I see Lisa back there. She wants a water bottle. Her hand was up first. Make sure she gets one. Help these guys pass them out. There you go. Get some of those and yeah, pass them out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you in just a second. Those of you that have a water bottle in your hand. But get them on the sides too. Take some out to the sides. By the way, it's second service. You guys can keep the water bottles. All right? Here's what we're going to do. See, what we do with Convoy of Hope is, what we do with uh, One Day to feed the, uh, Change the World, what we do with our giving to um, Builders International, what we do with all of these is when one of us, when one of us gives, come on out, Beck, Beck, Becca, 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 Rebecca, Becca, all of the above. She's got mine, all right? So when you got, when you got your thing, everybody got, are all of them passed out? If you got one, stand up to your feet. Come on. If you got one, stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Don't, don't play anything yet. Don't, don't do that yet. We, we don't need that yet. I got to make noise. Are all of them out there? Everybody got one? All right. We got them? If you got one, stand up. Here's what we're going to do. Listen to this. You ready? Nope. Just me. Can you do yours? You do yours. You do yours. Now you do yours. Oh, wait, wait, stop, 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 stop. I don't think you heard that. This is what it sounded like when one person did it. What happens here? Bex, go ahead, show us how to do it. One person, come on, what if we all join in together? Come on, all of us together. What happens here is we can do together what we can never do alone. My check means something, but our checks together mean a lot. Right? Yeah. 
You can stop that now. I just want to give you a little, all right, a little instruction. You've got these pledge forms in the seat in front of you. What I do and what I encourage you to do is I want to be a kingdom builder. Put your name, address, email, phone number on there. We're going to do a one, cha- uh, one day to change the world offering. You can just put that in kingdom builders online or here. And what else you can do is monthly kingdom builders commitment. I'm going to make one of those two. And my total commitment is this one day offering plus the monthly commitment all together. And we do that so we can keep track and we can make some plans on how much we get to give away. How much we what to give away? We get to. We get to do this together. Now, I, I got to ask this question. Is Jesus, do you really believe Jesus Christ was dead, buried, and resurrected from the dead? If you, do, if you do, he is your Lord. If you do not, he's not your Lord. And I said last week, I'll say again. I believe with all my heart that God's ways are better than my ways. So if my belief system or my ways are in conflict with his ways, what do I do? I submit to him. Okay? There's some people in this room, you need to make a commitment to submit to Jesus Christ right now. And I'm not going to bow our heads and I'm not going to close our eyes. I'm going to ask you a question. God's dealing with you. It is time for you to say, I commit fully to Jesus Christ. He will be my Lord. With everybody looking at you, because we're going to know sooner or later whether it's the truth or not by the way you act. If that's you, and today is your day to make a full commitment to Jesus Christ. He's all in. I'm all in with you, Jesus. If that's you, lift your hand really high. I want to pray with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, around this room, there are people raising their hands right now. Father, as we lift our hands and we say this prayer, we commit to you as Lord. We will do it your way, even if it hurts, because your way is better than our way. And I pray that we would learn what it means that godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to do offering this way today. If you have a pledge form, if you have a one-day offering, if you have anything with you that you need to put in these offering bags, when we begin singing this song, I want you to move up front, and I want you to put your offering in the bucket as an act of faith. And when we do that, we're going to together make an impact on the world. Y'all ready for this? All right, can we say the equation one final time? What's the equation? Godliness with contentment is great gain. And this is proof that I believe it. Amen. Amen. Let's do it.